Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Likewise, Paul says, the Spirit, if you notice in your Bibles, that's a capital S, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as you can see, we got a lot to cover tonight, and we're going to wrap up chapter 8 tonight. And when we come back together in a couple of months in, on August 10th, we're going to be picking up in chapter 9. And you're going to notice when we get to chapter 9, Paul's whole thought process makes a big jump. He starts dealing with the nation of Israel and God's purpose and future plans for Israel. And we're going to get into predestination and all that stuff. It's going to be an interesting study. We're going to touch on it tonight, but we're not even going to even scratch the surface of it. But come back in two months when we kick back in on August 10th, and you'll see how we deal with all that because chapter 9 deals with it in great detail. But for now, let's pick up where we left off last week. Paul now moves from what he knows and from what creation knows to what the Holy Spirit within us knows. Remember how we've been breaking this section down? Last time we met together, we broke it down into three things. How Paul said, I know something you don't know. In other words, he got to see heaven. Remember, he was taken to the third heaven, and he says, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. We already looked last time we were together at the fact that in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10, Paul said that he was not only taken there, he's not allowed to talk about what he saw. But this much he was allowed to say, when we get there, the, the, the glory and the reward and the awesomeness of what it is will make us just forget any kind of suffering we've had in this life. Then he goes on and says, creation knows something you don't know. Creation knows that when the sons of God are revealed at the rapture and we get our new bodies, creation knows that they're next and creation's waiting for that. And then he says, not only that, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then Paul deals with the fact that the Holy Spirit knows things that we don't know. And it's important that we learn what the Holy Spirit knows that we don't know. Because you're going to find that this is helpful for you. And we're going to deal with this passage tonight similarly to how you might have had it taught to you in the past. 
But I'm going to show you that you probably only had this much of it taught to you. There's a depth here that many Christians don't understand. You see, the Holy Spirit knows what God's purposes in our suffering are. And he's praying for us even when we don't know how or what to pray for in accordance with God's will and purpose and plan. Don't miss that. Look again at verses 26 and 27, how the Holy Spirit is praying for us in accordance with God's will, God's purpose. Don't miss this. In chapter 8 of Romans, verse 26 and 27, Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, we have been taught this passage as if it's saying that we are to ask the Holy Spirit to pray for us or to help us pray when we don't know how to pray. Isn't that pretty much how we've had this taught to you? You're in the middle of something. You don't really even know how to pray. Holy Spirit, would you please help me pray right now? Isn't that how we've been taught it? And there's nothing wrong with anybody teaching you that, but that's just a basic level of what's really being said here. Actually, if you look closely, the Holy Spirit is already praying for you in accordance with the will of God. So when you say, oh, Holy Spirit, help me pray. I don't know how to pray. He says, way ahead of you. Because God's purposes are known by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because they're all one, you understand? And so the Holy Spirit within you already knows why God's allowing you to go through what he's having you go through, because God has a purpose. That's why when we get to chapter 8, verse 28, we can know that God's going to cause all things to work for good, good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He has a purpose in our suffering. Actually... If you remember, when Jesus came up out of the water at his baptism, what was the first thing that happened to him next? He was led of the Holy Spirit where? To the wilderness to be tempted and to be tested. Isn't that interesting? Go with me to Luke chapter 22. Go to Luke 22. And look at verses 31 through 34. I want you to see that all through Scripture, you'll see that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all the above, is praying for us and praying for people in accordance with the will of God before they even know they need the prayer. Luke 22, look at verses 31 through 34. Now, at this point, Jesus has already declared to Simon Peter, you're now the new creation. You're Simon. I'm sorry, you're Peter. But then he calls him by his old name and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And in the Greek, the you and those two there is actually in the plural. It means all the disciples. Satan is asked to mess with y'all. But I have prayed for you. That you is in the singular. And that's why some of your translations will add a third Simon. Some of your translations say, but I prayed for you, Simon. The reason they add that Simon is to help you understand. It's not in the original text, but it helps you understand that that you is singular. So in other words, Jesus says, Satan has asked to mess with y'all, to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon. Look at what he says. I've already prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Well, Peter says to him, Lord, I don't need prayer. I'm ready to go both to prison and to death with you. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, because I see the finished product, 
The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So God had Satan come to him and say, I want to mess with the disciples. Jesus says, okay. But I will set the parameter and I will set the limits and I will use it what you want to use for evil. I'm going to use it for good and I'm going to use it for my purposes. We got to back up here and put some things together. When Jesus walked on the earth, was he man or was he God? Both. Okay. So when he walked on the earth, not only being human, but also God himself, how did the demons react when they saw Jesus? They freaked out. They're like, we know who you are. Now, humans didn't fully understand who he was, but the demons knew because they not only saw the physical, they could see the spiritual and they knew that he was God. Let me ask you a question. Who lives within, within you and me right now? Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells within you. Remember, you're in him and he's in you and we're in the Father, all that. Remember, that means when you and I walk around on this earth, the demons see God. They ain't touching us without his permission. He determines. You ever notice the whole conversation between God and Job in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job? The angels came before God and Satan came too because he's a created being as well. He's an angel and he had to appear before God. And God says to Satan, what you been up to? Satan says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. Second Peter tells us he's looking for someone to devour. And God says, well, how about Job? Satan says, well, you got this hedge of protection around him. I can't touch him. God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you have some of that protection removed. You can't touch him. But you can do whatever else you want to him. You just can't touch him. God controlled how much Satan was allowed to do. If you and I are in Jesus Christ and he's living within you, Satan can't do to you whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Stop giving him more credit than he deserves. Oh, but if he is allowed in your life to tempt you, to attack you, to cause you to doubt, to cause you to worry, guess what? God's lit him. He set the parameters have you ever noticed in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that no temptation has seized you, but such is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way for you to escape. There's three things in that, that, that verse you've got to grasp. Listen to this. First of all, whatever temptation you're going through, you're not the only one. There are other people who have been through it. Don't think you're the only one being tempted by this. But with that, God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. By the way, people say, God will never give you more than you can bear. Yes, he does. Everything's more than you can bear. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But he won't allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. And with the temptation, he'll provide a way for you to escape. Why in the world does it sound like God is actively involved in my temptation? Yeah, yeah, and he, because first of all, he is. But James 1.13 says he doesn't tempt anyone. That's correct. Let's go a little deeper. Remember the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Who did he teach us to pray to? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your glory, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, on earth as it is in heaven, all that. Give us our daily bread. And then he teaches us to pray this. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, he taught us to say, Lord, you control whether or not I'm led into temptation. But if you choose to do it, deliver me. I need your power to win. Jesus 
for the purposes of the Father, was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And Jesus, the whole time, kept his eyes on the Father for his deliverance and for his victory. You and I are going through things right now that you don't even know what God's purposes are. But the Holy Spirit within you, because he's God, and he knows why God has said yes, and how much he said yes to, he's already praying for you in accordance with God's purposes. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He said, um, I let Satan mess with you, and I have a purpose, and I've already prayed for you in accordance with that purpose. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, my prayer was not that you'd pass the test. My prayer is that when you fail the test, because it'll be good for you to fail the test, that you don't quit. And... I'm going to use it later on to, when you come back, strengthen through this to strengthen your brothers. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. By the way, the brothers, I don't think he's talking about the disciples as much as I think he's talking about the Jews. Do you remember how G Peter had been chosen to preach to the Jews by God? G Jesus' plan, one, one many of the many facets and aspects of Jesus' plan was that Peter could go back and preach to those people who had Jesus put to death and say to them, yes, you rejected your Messiah. Yes, you put to death your Messiah. Yes, let's just say it straight up. You killed the Messiah. I did worse. I walked with him. I ate with him. I saw him raise the dead. I saw his glory on that mountain where no one else was allowed to see except James and John. <laughs> but when push came to shove, I acted like I never knew him. And I didn't just say, never met the guy. I even swore an oath to God. I have never met the guy. And he forgave me. He'll forgive you. I want to show you something real quick. Some of you might have seen this illustration before. Some of you might not. But if you're right here, and my desire is to move you over here, I can't move you from here to here if you think you're already here, right? So if I know you're here and I need to move you to there, but you think you're already here, what do I have to do before I can, to you and for you, before I can move you to where I need you to be? Show you where you really are. Listen to me. Some of the trials we go through are simply to show us where we really are. Again, because of time and how much we got to cover tonight, I want you to write this down and go double check it later on. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, God speaking through Moses says this. He says in verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all these years in the wilderness. Now, wait a minute. Did the nation of Israel go into the wilderness because they took a wrong turn? Was their GPS broke? Who led them into the wilderness? God. Listen to what God says next. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all these years in the wilderness? He did it for three purposes. One, to humble you. To show your, your, your need and your dependence on him. 
He did it also to test you, to see what was in your heart, whether or not you keep his commandments or not. And he did it also, thirdly, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, don't miss what God says. He says, look, I led you into a time of testing. It was to humble you and show you where you really are so I could get you where I need you to be. And at the same time, it was a test to see if you'd keep my commandments or not. Now, let me ask you, when God tested them and when God tests us, is God testing us to find out how we'll respond? No, he already knows. So who is the test for? It's for us. When Jesus was tested, it was so that we would see what God already knew about Jesus, his son. And point, him, point to us that he is the one. But for us, it's to show us where we really are. Peter said, I don't need for you to move me from there to here. I'm already here. Jesus says, actually, um, the reason I let Satan mess with you is because I know you're really here. And after you fail the test and find out where you really are, I'm going to use that to get you to here. Years ago, when our family first moved uh, to or back from uh, New Orleans and Chicago, where I had been a pastor of churches and became pastor at First Baptist City Atlantic, God blessed us with a house on the beach side over in Indian Harbor Beach. And uh, it has a big pool in the backyard. And praise the Lord, next month, we will pay it off. Be the first time in my life I've ever owned a house without the bank's help. And we pay it off next month. But when we moved in in June of uh, 2000, because of this big pool in the backyard, and it's a deep one, it's an in-ground pool, and there are four exits off the back of our house to the pool, my wife was freaked out because we had a son at the time. We actually had two daughters and our son, but our son at the time was one, and AJ was not afraid of the water. We had to be ever checking, are the doors locked? So I decided, because I have lifeguard training, that I was going to teach AJ to swim. So I took him out there one day and said, I want to teach you how to swim. And he said, no. I said, why? He said, can. I go, you can already swim? I knew he couldn't. I said, you can already swim? He said, yes. I said, okay, I'm going to give you a swimming test. Then I, before I gave him the swimming test, I said to my wife, you need to go, Becky, where you can't hear or see what's about to happen next. You have to go away. So she went into our bedroom, closed the door, played music, did this. And I gave my son a swimming test. And I took my son while he was still fully clothed, and I just threw him into the deep end of the pool, which is seven feet deep. By the way, did he pass the test or did he fail the test? Oh, he failed it wonderfully. He failed it marvelously. I mean, his eyes got so big, he drank half the pool. And when he thought he was going to die, I came in, got him out, and I pulled him out. Guess what? Was I upset that he failed the test? Was I like, how come you couldn't swim? No, I was happy he failed the test. The test accomplished the purpose that I had in mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times when we fail tests, we allow Satan to come whisper in our ear and say, what a jerk you are, what a failure you are. You're not as far along as you thought you were. Exactly. God's not mad as long as you understand I thought I was here. Now I realize I'm here. God, help me get there. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And oh, I love in Deuteronomy, God says, oh, by the way, um, I'm the one that led you in the wilderness to humble you. I'm the one put you where there was no food, no water, where you had no choice but to depend on me. And I also did it to show you where you really are, because your whole response was, why do we do this? God's a jerk. Let's go back to Egypt. But also my solution, and don't miss this, folks, my solution was something you'd never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen before. Because I wanted you to understand that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Whatever God's putting you through, his solution to how he's going to get you out of it probably ain't going to look like how he did it last time. Because he wants you to walk with him and to trust him and to depend on him. And here Jesus prays for Peter in accordance with the will of God before Peter even knew he needed prayer. So I got no problem with you saying, Holy Spirit, help me pray. But don't think that that's when he's going to start praying. He's already been praying for you ahead of time for the reason why God's allowing you go through whatever it is you're going through. He's got a purpose. And you may not know it right away. A lot of you are like, okay, I'm okay with this. Just tell me what the purpose is and I'll be good. No, don't run ahead. Go to Luke 23. You're in Luke 22. Go to Luke 23. Why won't he let, let us know our purpose? I, I didn't say he won't. I said not yet. I'll show you in a second that he will. Well, I'd like that. Hey, well, you got well, to wait. Luke, Luke 23. Look at verses 32 through 37. Jesus is on the cross. Two, other, who were, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So let me ask you a question. Here we have Jesus praying, Father, forgive him. Were the people saying, Please forgive us. We need, we need help. They didn't even realize they needed and they didn't even know what his purpose was. But Jesus was already praying for them in accordance with the purpose of the father before they even knew what his purposes were. Folks, take a deep breath. If you're God's child, God is already praying for you in the midst of whatever trial he's putting you through in line with God's purposes that he already has in mind. Oh, let's go back to your question. Let's now remember Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I, therefore, I beg you, I urge you, I beseech you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what? The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He's not going to hide it from you. He will show you. The, the, the Bible teaches us that in time, when it's time, once we realize we go through that what he's going us through, there will be a point where he tells us, that's now I know why I went through that. At the time when I threw AJ in the pool, he thought I was the worst father in the world. And he had no idea why I would do that to him. But let me tell you, when he got out of the pool, we didn't have to lock the doors anymore. He wasn't going anywhere near that pool. But now I could come to him and say, dude, you thought you were here. Now you realize you're here. That was my purpose. Would you let your dad teach you 
And he was actually teachable. Oh, by the way, you know how awesome God is? You know what one of AJ's first jobs that he had besides Chick-fil-A was? He was a lifeguard at Walt Disney World. And he was trained for deep water, which is the highest level of lifeguard training at Walt Disney World. God's awesome. God's awesome. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 16. Paul just said that when he came, he didn't come with human wisdom and all this stuff, but he came with the power of God. But listen to what he says next in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of a man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, though, God has revealed to us through his spirit. Now, listen closely. For the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts, which is in him? Sorry, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the natural person, the lost person without Christ, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So look at what Paul's saying here. I don't have time to unpack this too much because we've got to keep moving. But he's saying, listen... We have a spiritual wisdom that the world doesn't understand unless God gives it to them. And if they humble themselves, he'll give it to them because he gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. But at the same time, there are things that God will freely give us, but it's for those who have his spirit. And we have the mind of Christ. So if you're in a trial, if you are being tempted or tested, whatever word you want to use, Will God tell you right away what his purposes are? Probably not. Will God tell you when it's time what his purposes are? He's promised that. He will. So rest in that. But between now, when you don't know what his purposes are, and the time when he finally shows you what his purposes are, because he's promised he will, what can you hang on to right now from Romans chapter 8? about his purposes and what his will is. It's good. Romans 8, 28. We know now because God's good and all his purposes toward us now are good because he's already taken care of his wrath toward our sin and toward us. He's loving us now through his spirit. Even though we're going through, did the father love the son? Then, well, if he loved him, why did he have him go through all that stuff? Have you ever heard anybody say, how could a loving God, and then you fill in the blank, Folks, we may not know why God does what he does right away, but this much we can know, his good, he's good and his purposes are good. And he'll cause all things to work for good, even for those, especially for those who are his called and called according to his purpose. 
So let me say this to you. Is everything that happens to you good? Not really in our definition. Will it be used and caused to accomplish good? Yes. And hang on to that. Oh, and in time, he will show you what his purpose is. I could tell you story upon story upon story from my life over the years of times I went through stuff and had no idea what God was doing. But man, I look back now and say, man, I'm glad he did that. I don't want to go through it again, but I'm so glad he did because so much good was accomplished. Now, verse 29 also tells us that God has also predestined us to be conformed into Jesus' image. Look at that again. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Like I told you earlier, we will deal with predestination and election and all that stuff in great detail when we come back in a couple months and kick back in in chapter 9. Chapter 9 goes into it, and we're going to break it down then. And let me tell you now, people always want to know about that. Come, because I'm going to be showing you verses that have probably never been used in this debate. But let me say this to you as much as we can for right now. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that who is going to be saved was predestined. Except for the fact that aspects of salvation have been predestined. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, God doesn't predestine Joe's going to be saved and Bob won't. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. But the Bible does teach that aspects of salvation are predestined. For example, in in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Now, some people could read that and say, well, he's predestined me to be adopted as his son through Jesus. No, listen closely. He's predestined that you would be his son through Jesus Christ. What was predestined? That the only way is through Jesus Christ. Now, we could then say, well, then the who was determined ahead of time. Yes, the who is all those that will come through Jesus Christ. And in this verse, what has been predestined? That you would be conformed into what? Into the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't let that miss out. If he's planned ahead of time to not just save you, but to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, guess what he's doing all the time? Conforming. Now, you're either going to like it or you're going to hate it. All discipline is not pleasant at the time, teaching, training, The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. But later on, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Listen closely to those who have been trained by it. I love how when Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus, he says this. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, God says, I'm going to win, Paul. So you might as well surrender to this right now. Some of you are miserable because you're still fighting God's purposes to conform you into the image of his son. Oh, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus learned obedience through what? Through suffering, through what he suffered. If he was led of the spirit into the wilderness, first thing to be tempted and tested by the devil, and he took the nation of Israel straight out of there being set free from captivity and put them right into a time of testing 
Guess what you and I had signed up for when we walked that aisle and said, Jesus, my life is yours. Would you get me to heaven? He says, yep, but it's going to be a little bit more of a journey there than you were planning. Because I got some work to do between now and then to conform you into the image of my son. And that's what I'm doing. And the sooner you trust me and understand my purposes are good, and the sooner you stop sitting around saying I'm a jerk and I'm no good and all this stuff, the sooner you can learn what my purposes are, and I'll show you what my purposes are, and they'll be accomplished. Because as soon as you learn the lesson, we'll move on. If you're not willing to learn the lesson, for example, if AJ, after coming out of the pool, said, I can still swim, we might have had to up the lesson of the test again, right? But it accomplished its purpose. He humbled himself, and we could move on. So, more on predestination when we come back. Someone quote for me. I'll get you started. Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. That he who began the good work in you will finish it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go to the book of Jude real quick. Verses 24 and 25. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Listen, folks, the Bible says that God has planned ahead of time to conform you into his image. That's what he's doing. And he's going to win. So just rest in that. But how come I'm not there yet? One, he determines the rate at which we go. Don't let Satan come up and whisper in your ear and say, you're never going to get there. Because that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to actually sanctify you so completely that when you stand before me, you're going to be sanctified spirit, soul, body, blameless. I'm able to keep you from stumbling and present you before myself spotless. I will lose none, Jesus said, of those that the Father has given me. Folks, if you're in Christ, he's going to win. It's hard for you to fight against the goads, kick against the pricks, as it says in the King James. In other words, by the way, if you don't know what that means, the goads and the pricks were kind of like when a, guy, a cowboy would ride a horse and he had the spurs. Whenever he wanted the horse to do something, he'd spur him. And if the horse resisted, what did the cowboy do? Spurred him again. And until you finally, you get the bit in the mouth and the spur in the side. In other words, the cowboy's saying, I'm going to win. God says, I will finish what I started. But actually, the sooner you understand that my purposes are good and I love you, and it might not be fun at the time, but just go through it. 
That's why we can count it all joy, my brothers, when we face trials of different kinds. Because the, the trying of our faith produces what God wants to produce. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit's already been praying for you ahead of time. Even before you even knew how to pray or what to pray for. Because God already knew before you went into it what you're going to be doing. Again, I got so much more we could talk about, but we got to keep moving. Look at how Romans 8.30 says the same thing. It's in the past tense. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see how it's all past tense? You have to understand right now he's talking about those who he foreknew. He already knows who's going to be saved. And all those that are going to be saved, he says, called, justified, glorified. Past tense, already done. We'll deal more with that. I told you we can't chase it tonight. There is a depth to it. Let me just say this to you. Whenever I travel around the country and I speak at different places for a week or so, people a lot of times will come and say, you seem to know a lot of the Bible. Do you mind doing a question and answer night? Actually, in New England this, this next week, on doing the series on heaven, Saturday from 9 to 11 is simply two hours of them asking me questions about heaven. I don't think it's going to take two hours, but they're gonna, they've set aside two hours for them to ask all these questions about heaven. Inevitably, when I go to these situations, the question of predestination and election and free will and all this stuff comes up. And I always tell everybody this, and I'll say it to you again in a couple of months as we get into it. I don't mind answering the question, but you got to give me at least one hour to answer that question because it's that deep. And two, before we even get started, everybody in the room has to uncross their arms. Because I've learned over the years that whenever anybody asks you the question about predestination or free will or election, they just don't really want to hear the answer. They just want to see if you're on their side of the aisle or the other guy's side of the aisle. And I say to everybody, uncross your arms and we'll get into this. In other words, some people are sitting there saying, I would never believe in a God that's already predetermined some people for heaven and some people for hell. And I'm going to show you in Romans 9, God, Paul says, what if God did? It doesn't say that he does, but he actually says, what if he did? He's big enough, and it's his world, and he gets to do it however he wants. And if he's chosen some for heaven and some for hell, he has the right to do it. But some of you also have your arms crossed, and you've already decided that if man has any say in this, then God's not sovereign. Oh, uncross your arms. I'm going to show you when we come back in a couple of months and really dive into it, that God's so sovereign, he can give you a choice and still be in full control. I'm going to show you how it all comes together the best I can. But let me just tell you, it's too, too deep of an answer for tonight. But those whom he foreknew, the ones he knew were going to be his, the ones that the father was going to give Jesus and he'll lose none of them. He's going to finish what he started. He predestined to conform them into his image and he's going to finish. He's going to justify them. He's going to glorify them. It's actually already done. Do you see how it's read in the past tense? I don't feel fully sanctified. I don't feel glorified. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to really make your head hurt. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 4 through 6.
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By the way, is that he's going to seat us or he's already seated us? He's already seated us. Is Jesus already seated at the right hand of the Father? Are you in Jesus? So in some sense, you're already there. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 4. If then, or since, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are in the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ is your life, his life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. You're already seated. It's already done. But it hasn't been fully manifested yet in time and space, right? But it will be. And you have to stop listening to the enemy who says you'll never get there. You'll never amount to much. Have you ever noticed that one of Satan's greatest tactics is to convince people of things that aren't true about themselves? You've got girls with anorexia who are convinced that they're fat when they're not. I could go on and on and on how Satan's trying to mess with people in their thoughts about who they are. And let me just tell you, he's trying to mess with Christians in the same way. You've got to work harder so God will love you. Paul says, you still don't get it, do you? Um, you're co-heirs with Christ. Yeah, you're going to go through suffering in this life, but you're already co-heirs with Christ. His spirit has already testified with your spirit that you're his child. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He, he, what you're going through now isn't worth comparing with what's to be revealed. And creation's waiting for that day when you get your new body, and you're waiting for it too because you've got the spirit within you groaning for that. And on top of that, as you're going through these sufferings, the Holy Spirit's already praying for you in line with God's purposes in this time of suffering and shaping for what he's trying to accomplish. Oh, and relax, everything he's got in mind for you is good, and you can just take a deep breath and know it, even though it's hard right now. Oh, and on top of that, he's already predestined, planned ahead of time, before the foundation of the world to confirm you into the image of Jesus Christ, and he's going to. He's going to. Oh, I could go preaching right now, but I need to stop. We need in this war against our flesh to live, a day, live our life with a daily reminder of these truths. That's why we have to renew our mind. And what does God use to sanctify us? I've already taught you this way back when we started looking at sanctification. John chapter 17, verse 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Folks, what God's going to use is his word over and over and over to remind us of these truths. Let me show you what I mean. Go to uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 4. Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. His, God's divine power, has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped already the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. This past Sunday, by the way, uh, I, I was at my home church. I wasn't preaching anywhere this past Sunday, and so I went to my home church. And uh, at First Merritt Island, it was a youth-led service, and uh, they did an amazing job. But it was also graduation Sunday, and we honored the graduates. And the youth pastor preached, and he preached from John 5, where Jesus goes to the man at the pool of Bethesda and says, You're healed. Rise and walk. And I sat there as I was meditating on this passage, because that's the way I am. He'll start saying something and I'll go somewhere else. But I was having fun anyway, just letting God speak to me from that passage. And God began to speak to my heart. He said, Jim, the man could have easily come up with all these excuses as to why he couldn't. And he tried. I know there isn't someone to help me into the water and all this stuff. And, of course, he's never walked. He's been this way for 38 years and all this stuff. But all Jesus said to him was, get up. And God spoke to me and he said, Jim, a lot of the stuff you're still struggling with, I've already declared that you're healed. Just get up. Stop coming up with excuses as to why you still struggle with this. Believe my promises and just get going. Peter, do you really love me more than these? I really do love you, Lord. Let's get going. Feed my sheep. He didn't say, then why haven't you, why'd you deny me? Why couldn't you tell that little girl? He didn't get into all that stuff. Oh, that's the stuff Satan whispers in her ear. If I really do love the Lord, why don't I tell that guy? If I really do really love the Lord, how come I couldn't tell the waitress at their table? If I really do love the Lord, how come I couldn't tell the lady at the bank? That's not God talking to you. That's the enemy. Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, look, I've already begun it. You know that, right? I've confirmed it in your heart. Yeah, Lord, I know you've started a good work, but I really need to help you finish. No, you don't. And sometimes when you fail the test, it's just to show you where you really are. So you stop thinking you're here, but don't beat yourself up because I showed you you're here. Let's get going from here. Humble yourself and be teachable. Oh, by the way, my solution is going to look different than last time because I want you to walk with me, not on your formulas. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 21. Paul, again, talking to believers, says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in what? And love, that's going to be important as we wrap up chapter 8, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power already at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't miss this, though. 
He prays in verse 18 that you may be strengthened or have the strength to comprehend with who? With all the saints. What's the height, the width, the depth, the breadth? Let me say something to you that I wish we had time to chase, but there's eight minutes left. You will not ever move into a fuller understanding and the fullest understanding you can have of God's love for you apart from the body of Christ. God has designed the church to experience community and to experience the love of Christ through the body. That's why Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. If you try to experience God's love for you by yourself, apart from the fellowship, you'll never get there. It wasn't designed to be experienced personally. Oh, does God give us individual touches every now and then? Sure. And are there times that he does things that are just for us? Without question. But at the same time, the fullness of the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God will only be experienced as you get involved in the community of the body of believers. Go ahead. Mine, and I don't know if I heard you read this, with the power through the spirit in the inner person. In your inner man, the one that's living within you. He's within us and he empowers us from within that's what it's talking that way. Yep. Hey, go with me real quick to 1 John 4. Look at verses 13 through 18. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. How? Because he's given us what? His spirit. He's already, remember Romans 8, 16? His spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God, that God has for us. God's love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in, abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For that kind of fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, the Bible does teach that we're to fear God. But it's not a fear of his punishment. It's not a fear of his judgment. It's actually, if you look at Psalm 34, it's a fear of missing out on all of his blessings. For those of us, if you're still afraid that God's going to get you, you've not been perfected in love yet. You still think you're going to get punished. No. Oh, is what he's going to put you through feel like punishment sometimes? Yes. But what has he promised? That he's causing everything to work for good and nothing will separate you from his love. Even though for his sake, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Even though for his purposes, we go through trials. Never for a second think that God's mad at you or he's making you pay for something. No, he's conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ and he's shaping you. And you will move forward in that when you fully accept God's purposes are good. I don't understand why this is happening, but he'll show me in time. But it's actually going to work out for good and I trust you. Now at the same time, if you go to Psalm 34, look at it later on. David says this. He says, those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. Did you catch that? And then he goes on in the verses following. He says, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Let me teach you how to fear God. You know what he says next? Just do what he says. 
because everything he says is right and good and best. And when you trust that, you will actually experience the goodness of God. Does that mean you'll never have a trial? No. But at the same time, Jesus, even though he went through suffering all of the time, except for one time, he actually had his eyes on the Father to the point that he actually just, well, as, Lazarus, as he's dealing with Lazarus, he's thanking the Father for what he's about to do because he knew what the Father's plan was and the Father's purpose was and he knew what the will of the Father was and he thanked him ahead of time. He said, I didn't say that for, you, for my purpose. It was for people listening. He looked at Satan as Satan's trying to mess with him and he says, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to wait on the Lord. He's good. He's got a plan. He's going to be all right. I'll wait on his way to glorify me instead of all these ways you've designed. I'm not going to take it in my own hands. God's going to take care of it in his time and he will. The only time we see him get to that point where he all of a sudden says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was at that moment when he, on the cross, and I still to this day don't understand how God can separate himself from God, but Jesus experienced hell and the separation from the Father on the cross. But at the beginning, he says, Father, forgive him. At the end, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Except for that one moment on the cross where Jesus experienced the separation from the Father so we wouldn't have to. Jesus, the whole time, in the midst of all this suffering, kept saying, we're going to be all right. As they called him demon-possessed, we'll be all right. As disciples left and walked away because his teaching was weird and hard to understand, eat my flesh, drink my blood, what's he talking about? He's nuts. And he said, we'll be okay. And if you guys want to go too, you're free. He then tells his disciples right before the cross, you're all going to go away and you're all going to desert me tonight, but I won't be alone. Uh, the Father will be with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? As he went through the suffering, as he went through the trials, as he went through his family saying, you're nuts and you're out of your mind. If you go back and look at Mark chapter 5, his mother and his brothers went to go get him because they thought he was out of his mind. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Anybody that believes in me and worships my father, they're, they're my family. Jesus kept his eyes on the father in the midst of the suffering, and he had joy and he had peace in the trials. We do good sometimes and other times not so good. And that's kind of why we need each other. Because there are going to be days that I am strong in faith. And there are going to be other days that I'm not. And that's when I need you. There are going to be days you're strong in faith or not. And you need each other to come alongside of each other and what? Remind each other of God's promises. Don't try to fix it for anybody. Just remind them of who he is and what he said. Now let's close with Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 31. Paul wraps it all up and he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, by the way, he's for us, right? Who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Everything we need for life and godliness is already available to us. We just need to believe and receive it. At the same time, he's a good, generous father. He will bless us. Oh, that doesn't mean you'll never be sick or you'll be a millionaire, but you'll never lack anything, and he'll take you through whatever it is you go through. Who's going to bring any charge against you, by the way? It's God who justifies. By the way, who's the one that condemns? It's Jesus. Go back and look at John 5, 22. Jesus says the father judges no one, but has handed all judgment over to the son. So who's the one that is going to condemn anybody? 
It's Jesus. Oh, by the way, his measurement is not how good you were. His measurement is whether or not he knows you. And he's already sealed you with his spirit. He's already confirmed you're his child. He's already seated you with him in the heavenly realms. So if the one who is the condemning one is already sealed you and brought you with him into heaven and is interceding on your behalf. And by the way, when it says he's interceding, he's not talking on your behalf to the father. If the father loves you just as much as Jesus does, he's not saying, hey, he's really a good guy, God. No, he's interceding by being alive. That's how he intercedes for us. And by the way, is he ever going to die? So he's going to ever intercede for you. Isn't that cool? Don't think he's got to talk to the father to calm him down on your behalf. But then he goes on and says this. Who's to condemn? It's Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding, indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or gas prices? As it is written, for your sake, for your purposes, we are being killed all the day long, just like Jesus went through it. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But you know what? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And for any of you people that are out there like engineers looking for a loophole, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You might as well surrender to this love. You're going to be miserable till you do. Folks, it's time that we meditated on his promises on the truth are you going to believe what satan's whispering in your ear or are you going to believe that you're a child of god sealed by god seated in the heavenly realms he's going to finish what he started he's going to get you there and when you fail the test he's not mad just learn the lesson of what the test was for and let's get go from here and the sooner we let this truth sink in the more joy and peace we'll have in the journey i love y'all we'll see you in a couple of months thanks for coming